0: Welcome to the History Obscure Reading Room this fine evening, friends. I trust you have had a most satisfying day. Personally, I accomplished very little thanks to a very nosy policeman who has come to ask questions about my housekeeper, Louisa. I assured him that she was perfectly well cared for on the premises and suggested that if her family was so concerned... Perhaps they should come check on her themselves. Well, he did not like that suggestion, and alas, I've left him in the capable hands of Colonel Butler. As for Louisa, I've very kindly given her the week off of work while she recovers from... events. Good deeds, they say. Hmm? Are you ready for tonight's story? Excellent. Picture, in your mind, a beautiful young lady. She has heavily powdered hair piled high atop her head in an almost ludicrous fashion, and her entire body is adorned in the finest silks, laces, and ribbons. Her hoop skirts stretch nearly two yards in diameter, and the ruffles thereupon could stretch easily for a mile such was the image of the French Queen Marie Antoinette during the latter part of the 18th century, and it is in this guise that she is almost certainly imagined whenever her name or memory is invoked. That picture-perfect woman that you now envision, she was not always that way. Let me tell you about the beautification of our dear departed Marie Antoinette. Once upon a time, in 1755 in Austria, to be precise, the Empress Maria Theresa delivered her 15th child by the Holy Roman Emperor Francis I. This time it was a daughter, whom she christened Maria Antonia Josepha Joanna of Austria-Lorraine. Born at the fabulous Imperial Apartments at the Hofburg Palace in Vienna, Austria, little Marie Antonia had a precious little time with her mother before being handed to a wet nurse to provide sustenance and care. It is even said that the Empress, clearly no stranger to childbirth, returned to her work almost as soon as the baby was delivered. While proceedings in the royal house went on quite as usual, there were some outside the palace who felt the royal birth was rather ominous. The signs surrounding the day of birth, November the 2nd, were all wrong. That date signified All Souls Day, a time when the Catholic churches of all Europe were covered in cascades of black, with mirrors covered to stop the souls of the dead from re-entering the mortal world. All Souls Day was full of superstition, and people were terrified that they would encounter ghosts. It was not an ideal day for the birth of any baby, let alone that of a royal and powerful family. Ghosts were not the only problem on that particular day, either. Baby Maria Antonio's godparents, Joseph I, and Mariana Victoria, King and Queen of Portugal, witnessed a terrible earthquake that destroyed their palace. Despite the negative signs, tiny Maria Antonia was born healthy enough to outlive six of her siblings. She grew up in luxury, and without the anxiety of her elder brothers and sisters who would inherit kingdoms, or surely be married to foreign rulers. Quite carefree, Maria Antonia paid little attention to her tutors and gained a reputation as a somewhat dim-witted child. She was not excellent with numbers, writing, or languages. She did, however, take a liking to music and dancing. When a young Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart visited the austrian court to perform in 1762 he is said to have kissed the little archduchess and proclaimed his wish to marry her typical austrian royal students were expected to master german italian and french but not maria antonia at the age of 11 or 12 when first visiting the royal courts the young archduchess found herself very much at a loss for words Maria's only competence was in spoken German. She could not even write in her own vernacular. This was probably due to her dislike of the subject and the fact that Maria Antonia's education was not as carefully dictated as those of her elder siblings. The young girl had seven surviving sisters during her youth and for each of these, the Empress Maria Therese had specific plans. Maria Christina, for example, thought to be her mother's favorite, would enjoy the freedom to marry a man of her own choosing. Maria Elizabeth was considered by their mother to be the most attractive of the daughters, and for that reason she was reserved for marriage to the most politically advantageous suitor. The Empress eventually decided that Maria Theresa should be paired with the widowed King Louis XV of France, and Maria Antonia was proposed as a potential bride for his son, the Dauphin of France. Unfortunately, the elder sister suffered from smallpox before the marriage could be carried out, and afterwards was visibly scarred. The wedding was called off. The engagement of Maria Antonia to Prince Louis-Auguste, however, moved forward. The archduchess was only 12 years old at the time of the betrothal. There were many preparations to make before any marriage could take place. The empress felt it was necessary to improve both the physical appearance and the linguistic prowess of her daughter before her future wedding. A royal tutor was sent from the French court to help educate the future Queen of France in French manners and etiquette. That tutor was one Abbe Vermont, and he was very much disappointed in the lack of Marie Antonia's knowledge of literature, language, and history. Fortunately, as the lessons progressed, Vermont saw that his student was not stupid, but merely uneducated. The tutor had this to say of his student. She has a most graceful figure, holds herself well, and if, as may be hoped, she grows a little taller, she will have all the good qualities one could wish for in a great princess. Her character, her heart, are excellent. She is much more intelligent than is generally supposed. Unfortunately, up to the age of twelve, She has not been trained to concentrate in any way. She is rather lazy and extremely frivolous. She is hard to teach. During the first six weeks, I inculcated her with elements of literature and found that she understood me very well when I gave her proper explanations. Then, she usually manifested a very sound judgment." Relations between Austria and France were strained at the time of the engagement, and everyone involved with the preparations of the future royal wedding knew that unless Maria Antonia could be groomed to look and speak like a French princess, the marriage could be called off and the two countries' tentative friendship might be destroyed. The Duchess of Gramont was given the job of physically transforming Maria Antonia, The Archduchess was of the highest nobility in name and breeding, but her manner of dress and social graces were not exemplary. Having lived a life of luxury and few responsibilities, young teenage Maria Antonia is said to have worn wrinkled clothing and suffered extremely crooked teeth. The first thing the Duchess de Gramont did was change the young lady's undergarments. French ladies were meticulous about their whalebone corsets, which created a tiny waist beneath the layers of skirts and pressed a lady's lungs so strongly she found it difficult to breathe or take exercise. The girl battled these corsets heartily, but lost. Next, Maria's crooked teeth needed to be fixed. The tool for the job was Fauchard's bandeau. The bandeau wrapped around the teeth much like modern braces, with thin wires affixed around each tooth and adjusted regularly to correct the alignment of the smile. It was a painful and awkward experience that lasted for months, and while everyone waited for the girl's teeth to become more attractive, the Duchess de Grammont transformed Maria Antonia's wardrobe. The French royals considered themselves the absolute height of modernity in fashion, and as the future queen of France, the young bride would be expected to hold her own in terms of dress and accessories. She could not just be content to sit back and follow existing fashion rules. She would have to create trends of her own that influenced a nation of women. A large part of her future income would be dedicated, by law, to cultivating French style. Empress Maria Theresa is rumored to have spent 400,000 French livres on her daughter's wedding trousseau. For some perspective, the average cost of a noble person's wardrobe at the time was only about 2,000 livres. Still, this was not enough to complete the transformation of Maria Antonia from an awkward and somewhat ugly Austrian girl into stunning French princess. Yet another French stylist was invited to Vienna, and this one was a famous hairdresser by the name of Larseneur. The very same Larseneur had made the Pompadour style famous on the French king's mistress, Madame du Pompadour. Apparently, L'Arceneur was not summoned just to change Marie Antonia's reddish-blonde curls into smooth, fashionable tresses, but he was needed to help cover and cure the girl's wavering hairline and bald patches. In time, the problem was solved with a low, upswept dew that stopped her forehead from appearing too large. The puffed hair was powdered liberally and decorated with gemstones, To accompany this most avant-garde hairstyle were myriad French gowns cut low upon the bosom and low along the torso, coming to a finish in huge sweeping skirts and layered petticoats. The sleeves of these dresses were puffed and long, filled with ribbons and jewels. Designed purely as decorative, these dresses were extremely heavy and uncomfortable supported as they were by solid paniers, which connected several hoops together to stretch and display the thickly embroidered and bejeweled fabrics. When Maria Antonia emerged from her transformative cocoon some two years after her official engagement to Prince Louis-Auguste of France, she was an altogether different sight to behold. Corseted, coiffed, Fastened tightly into the finest gown and smiling with lovely straight teeth, Maria Antonia was at last considered a proper candidate for the future French throne. She could struggle her way through conversation in French with a polite and soft-spoken manner that her tutor was quite proud of. It was finally time to have a wedding. The wedding took place on April 19th of 1770. Marie Antonia was 14 years of age, and Louis Auguste, 15. The bride wore a beautiful silver gown with a long train, and entered the Church of the Augustine Friars at 6 o'clock p.m. It was the same venue of her parents' wedding some 34 years earlier. There was one significant difference, of course. Maria Antonia took her vows more than 1,200 kilometers away from her bridegroom. She had been made unforgettably beautiful for a proxy wedding, which was very common in royal circles at the time. In place of Louise Auguste withstood the Archduke Ferdinand, Maria Antonia's own brother the two went through the vows together with clergyman Monsignor Visconti and afterwards feasted at the official wedding dinner. Ferdinand was required to sit at his sister's side for the entire day. While Vienna continued its celebrations, the 14-year-old bride embarked upon the long journey to France to meet her new husband. As soon as her procession crossed the Austrian-French border, it was halted so that the girl could acquiesce to her new royal-in-law's demands. Specifically, they stipulated that she only wear gowns, shoes, underclothes and accessories that were made in France. It was for that reason, in a makeshift tent in the midst of the Compagnie Forest, Maria Antonia was stripped of all the clothing and possessions she had known as a member of the Austrian royalty and redressed in French clothing selected by French nobles. When Louise Auguste's bride emerged from the tent and crossed into France, she was no longer to be addressed by her Austrian name, but instead Marie Antoinette. Deeper still into the forest, the bride and groom met at long last, and the words between them were precious few. Louis' return to the Palace of Versailles on the 16th of May, 1770, was celebrated lavishly with food, drink, and guests. Dressed exquisitely, Louis-Auguste and Marie-Antoinette walked together to the royal chapel, followed by the king and his other sons. This time, the groom wore a suit of silver, and the bride wore a gown of lilac. A second ceremony was performed there by Archbishop Rames, after which Louise and Marie signed the marriage registry. Late in the night, both young people were ceremoniously put to bed together, as was routine, to ensure their marital consummation. King Louis the Fifteenth ceremoniously presented his grandson with his nightshirt. The Duchess of Chartres presented the bride with hers. The couple climbed into bed together to prove their intention, and then the bed curtains were closed. Exhausted, Marie Antoinette and Louis Auguste fell promptly asleep. And that was really only the beginning of Maria Antonia's ordeal. Aren't weddings such sad things? No wonder we feel compelled to dress in light, shiny, happy gowns to get through such a thing. Why, it must hurt one's face to smile all that day. (laughs) Well, enough of sad things, dears. I'd best get down to the dungeon and see how negotiations are coming along. Ta, till next time. Good night.